from third grade to about seventh grade, I wore glasses and I did have to like stop playing a few sports because the risks of glasses breaking, I can't be rough that much with glasses. It kind of like made me not really happy because I couldn't do things that I loved. It was hard to see him go through that. Um, I wanted him to be happy and to feel that he was able to do everything everybody else was. You put your, your family first, you put your kids before you. I did research myopia more than I had in the past and really understanding that with the way that Matthew's eyes were progressing and how fast they were getting bad, as he got older, there were other things that could happen with his vision. I mean, we have one set of eyes. The long-term risk factors of myopia, high degrees of myopia when he reaches six or more is central vision loss with myopic maculopathy, cataracts at a younger age, glaucoma, which is peripheral vision loss, and retinal detachment, you can lose permanent loss of vision. So when I found out about my sight, I was like, oh my gosh, this needs to be like, handed out to every parent out there who has kids and glasses. The reason we chose my site for Matt is we know that he was progressing and his myopia was uh, you know, already moderate. My site is the only FDA-approved treatment that helps slow down the progression of myopia and control as best as possible. So when we went back for his year checkup, and his vision hadn't changed, I was ecstatic. I was, I guess, kind of emotional. There's no safe myopia. Once myopia starts, it needs to be treated as soon as possible. Glasses don't really help slow down prescription. At this point, the best tool is my sight. Getting contacts definitely boosted my confidence with just doing what I used to do. And it just helped me get back to my normal self. With the glasses, it, I just saw like a box around my eyes and everything, but the contacts are just like new pair of eyes. And welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Colin Carr. And many of you may have actually heard of Carr Realty, especially if you own a practice and you've delved delved into the uh, the world of real estate. Calendar, Colin is the founder of the aptly named Car Realty, a nationwide commercial real estate company with a team of 150 experts that exclusively represent the unique needs and interests of healthcare providers. He has successfully completed over a thousand commercial real estate transactions while saving his clients hundreds of millions of dollars. Colin, that's a lot of money. It is, it is. And, and people a lot of times will say, is there really that much on the line in each deal? And the answer is yes. And we can break it down in a few minutes as far as what's actually on the line. But there's a lot of money that can be either won or lost in a just a standard real estate transaction for healthcare providers. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that, the, the money side of it. You know, I, I'll tell you something I hear a lot that probably won't surprise you. Talking with practice owners who are at a point in their lease where the discussion is whether or not they're going to stay in that that unit or move somewhere else. And a lot of times what I'll hear is, 
I can't wait to get out of this lease because I can't stand my landlord. Oh yeah. Uh, a, a poorly negotiated um, lease. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat something that you actually sent me. I was reading some things over uh, before we, we hit record here and something you sent me that, that really stood out to me, a poorly negotiated lease or purchase can cost a practice tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I think some things in business we can get wrong. It's it's a temporary problem, right? Uh-huh. If you decide to change your patient schedule and it's not working out, you could you could go back to the old schedule. If you hire somebody and they don't work out, it's a pain, but you can move on. You could cut ties with that person and and replace them. But if you don't get the real estate component right, it can be a burden you have to carry for a long time, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking at a, a traditional lease for a healthcare provider, whether it's an optometrist or someone else, let's let's say the space is around 2,500 to 3,000 square feet. If you overpay by a couple of dollars per square foot on an annual basis, which is very easy to do, you know, you take like $3 a square feet times 3,000 square feet, that's $9,000 per year. And then if if you have the wrong annual increase, then it ratchets up and you can lose another, you know, another 10, 15, $20,000 over the term of the lease. But $9,000 a year times 10 years is $90,000. And then if you don't get the re- the right free rent package, if you don't get the right build out package, if you don't get the right tenant improvement package, all of these costs compound and you find yourself in a scenario where you overpay by literally like, like said minimum tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over a 10 year period. And then some of those are, are even more costly, like let's say tenant improvement or build out allowance. If you have to borrow more money and then you're paying interest at six, seven, eight percent over the next 15 years in your practice loan, again, it just keeps compounding further. So we don't want to make it more than it is, but we, we certainly don't want to make it less than it is. And the bottom line is that you know landlords specialize in figuring out how to capture as much of that margin as possible. And a lot of healthcare providers, unfortunately, don't have the training there, don't have the expertise or the time to do it. And, you know, most of them go into these transactions and just get completely, you know, just completely clobbered in these negotiations, don't know the difference. And then I'll take it one step further. If you didn't do a good job on your original lease and then you go to renew your lease and you're several dollars a square foot above market, it compounds even further. It's even that much harder to get the landlord to come back to a market rent or to get them to give you market concessions if you miss it on the first go around. So yeah, overall, a lot of money on the line and, you know, Nobody wants to voluntarily give up a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I think, like you said a second ago, you know, this isn't like, hey, I overpaid on uh, on a commodity and I'm going to I'm going to buy it at a better price next month. You get one crack of this thing every, you know, five, seven or 10 years or once in your career if you purchase. The, the phrase you don't know what you don't know is going through my head. And, and you're right. A lot of you know, the healthcare professionals in general, they were just not trained in this area that it would seem that the landlord has an unfair advantage in these negotiations. I like to think I can help doctors in a lot of different ways, but sometimes somebody asks me some about something and I have to say, I, I'm probably not the most qualified to do that. I, I think back to a time years ago, somebody actually sent me an 82 page lease re- written in complete legal jargon yeah. and said, can you review this before I meet with my landlord tomorrow? Now I I know what I don't know. And I said, I, I don't think I'm the most qualified to go over that. You should probably talk with someone like you or, or an attorney. So as far as simplifying the process for doctors, negotiating leases and contracts, it, it can be daunting. And like you said, doctors don't have the training in that area. 
So how do you simplify this process for doctors and make it easier for them to, to understand and to make informed decisions? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, here's what I can tell you. Whether you're a healthcare provider or I don't care what industry you're in, the savviest of anyone in a profession knows what they don't know and then hires experts to help them in those areas. Like for instance, tax law changes every year. If you're doing your own taxes as a business owner, um, you're probably not you're probably not capturing all the benefits and, and doing what you should be doing. If you're reviewing your own 82 page lease document as opposed to giving that to a savvy real estate attorney that reviews literally thousands of contracts per year, you're you're not a savvy healthcare provider. And it's the same thing when it comes to practice management, when it comes to hiring, when it comes to training, you want to find people that are skilled in the area that you're not. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of intelligence and strength. Like you find the people that are the, the best suited to help you. And so that's what the savvy doctors do is, you know, they don't try to design their own space. They hire a great architect that, you know, they're not in there like, you know, they're not running to Home Depot, building their own, uh, their own cabinets and their own, you know, their own millwork and so forth. Like they're hiring a good contractor. And it's the same thing when it comes to real estate. It doesn't matter if you've done a deal or two or three, like you're not, nobody can master anything in two or three transactions or, or you know, swings of the ball. Like you just can't do it. So hiring somebody who has expertise in an area that you don't, that can save you a ton of time, a ton of money. And, and I'd say equally as important is they can give you peace of mind that what you're doing is the best process. Like I, I would tell you, you know, people love to save money. I love to save money. But I also like to have peace of mind that I'm not I'm not missing something. Like I don't want to make a decision on a concept like a commercial lease. And then every night that I go to bed for the next 10 years, wonder if I messed it up or if I just lost a quarter million dollars. The peace of mind is invaluable. And when you work with really talented professionals, they they deliver results. They'll save you time. They'll save you money, you know, whatever you're hoping to accomplish. But they give you a peace of mind that it's being done the, at, the, at the highest and best level. And that, to me, is invaluable. Helen, what about the office space itself? Because that's another common topic that'll come up when somebody's moving. A lot of times I've, you've been in a, a certain location, the practice has grown and you're looking to expand and people want to know, should I move into 2,500? Should it be 3,500? And I know there's variability there, but um, you know, what are maybe some of the top mistakes doctors make in terms of the office space, whether it's, I don't know how far car realty, maybe you could help elaborate on that gets involved with the design uh consulting on, on square footage and things things like that i i think back to the time i once in my life i had a house built we built a house i hated it my wife loved it i, I if i never <laughs> did it again that's fine but you know where we got help is a friend of ours actually came in and he looked at the layout and the plans and he mentioned a lot of things we hadn't considered uh -huh. and he said you know that room should really be bigger for this reason and that door should be there and the window you definitely want to move over here and it it all made sense, and I'm glad we had those conversations before we had before we had the house built because it was easy to go back to the, um, you know, the contractors and and have those changes made. So, what are some of the top mistakes you see with doctors in terms of the office space, and how do you help them in that area? Yeah, well, let's let's start with the one you just mentioned. You know, choosing the wrong square footage that's a very common one, and you know, there, there's a balance here, like in a lot of things you want to make sure that it's not too large. Like you don't want a space that it's going to take you six, seven years to grow into. If you're doing a 10 year lease, that's too much money you're going to waste up front. But at the same standpoint, you can't outgrow that space in two, three years. So you want to find a, a square footage or a size of a space that's going to work for you 
you know, you'll have to grow into it. Certainly you'll, you'll overpay in the beginning, but there's like a break-even point where you don't want to be overpaying for a space you're not using for more than a couple of years. So getting the right square footage, very important. And then as you mentioned, if you've never built out a space before, like let's say, let's say you inherited a space from a practice you purchased, or let's say that this is a, a, a scratch art or a brand new office, you know, having the architect and the contractor like tape off that space and like you actually walk in it, that's a very simple process even if they charge you a couple hundred dollars to do it, that's a that's a really valuable step in the process because you might walk into what you see as a room on a floor plan and say it's good on the floor plan. Then you walk in there and it's taped off and you think this there's no way this is the right square footage. So um, that's there. And then you get into another concept too, working with architects and contractors that understand the unique needs of healthcare providers. It's different if you're a dentist versus an optometrist. Like for instance, you and I know that you don't want a window with light coming into the exam lane. Like you don't want that there. But if you're working with someone who's never done an optometry office and it's a dental office, they want the natural light. So you get into these unique differentiators between, well, well, why wouldn't you want all your rooms where you see patients on, on glass and in windows? And you have to explain to them, that's not how we do it. We need it pitch black. We want it dark, what have you. So there's, there's differences with architects, contractors. That's a big mistake. Um, I, I would tell you the number one mistake, and I could probably give you 15, so I'll try to like you know squeeze this down, but the number one mistake that healthcare providers make, and we've alluded to it, is they take the do-it-yourself approach. And there, there's no way to do this properly if it's if it's done yourself. And let me give you a couple of reasons why. The landlord is going to go into any transaction when they're going up against someone, I don't care if it's a healthcare provider, I don't care if it's a, if it's a CPA, if the attorney, they're going to assume that they don't know the market, they're not an expert, they're not skilled at negotiating when it comes to commercial real estate, and they're going to assume that they don't have the savvy that it takes to win, okay? There's, there's no way around it, and here's why. Because if, if Charles Schwab was leasing a space in the building, their broker would be calling, not Charles Schwab themselves. When Starbucks goes to market, they don't have some random person at Starbucks calling. They have a broker in every single market that's doing the real estate for them. They have real estate managers internally, but they hire a broker on every single transaction. And so when a doctor's you know, showing up to a property by themselves or, or when they're calling a landlord saying, hey, my lease is about to expire, you know, send me a proposal. Every one of those communications communicates that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the time to do this. I'm just going to kind of just, you know, just slug my way through it. And the landlords, the landlords are going to are going to capture that transaction at the highest level in their favor, and it's not going to work out well for the doctor. And a lot of times, the doctor doesn't know that they're losing. Like this is kind of funny. I, I did a lot of work for landlords, and we'd have these transactions where they would do it themselves, and they would push us, or they would counter the offer, they negotiate, and we'd give them some concessions or give them a little bit of break on their lease rate. And these doctors would walk away thinking that they just absolutely dominated the negotiation and the landlord's laughing all the way to the bank because he gave, he might have given them a month or two of free rent or given them new carpet and paint or reduced their rent a little bit, but there was still like another margin this big in the deal that the landlord took to the bank. And so uh, I, I could expound further, but the, the do-it-yourself approach, very few, very few healthcare providers even break even on that deal, let alone actually win. So the... Um... And I want to circle back to that in a minute, this, I guess, what's appearing is to be an unfair advantage that a landlord has over the um, the person looking to, to lease space. But on the topic of leasing versus purchasing, because that's another common topic that comes up. Now, typically, 
I suppose there's exceptions, but for most cold starts, a lot of doctors going into practice for the first time, they're usually looking to to lease. And it's usually after, you know, their their second, third location, the question becomes, do does it make more sense to purchase? What are some of the considerations doctors should consider in, in those situations? Well, that's a great question too. And, and I, I summarize, should I lease or purchase? I mean, that thing comes up from almost everyone we talk to. Uh, anyone, whether it's a startup or whether it's an established doctor, they're asking that exact question. Um, so the first thing, uh, and this is a very simple way to look at it is, is there any products available or any spaces available that meet your needs for sale? And the answer could be in some markets, no. There, you could be in a certain area that you wanna be located in, or maybe you're already established and you don't wanna go outside of a certain trade area. And you could say, hey, are there any spaces or any buildings available that are 3,000 square feet for sale? And the answer could be no. Like, it's not like residential where there's always a house for sale in some neighborhood. You know, for every, for every you know, one space for sale, there's going to be 100 for lease. So inventory is very challenging when it comes to purchasing for commercial real estate as a whole. So it could be that you want to own and there's nothing available. Well, that just answered the question for you because you can't make a building come out of thin air. Um, the next question becomes, is there any land? Could I build a building in that scenario? And the answer typically is yes, but you can't build a 3,000 square foot building. It, it doesn't make sense financially. You don't have the capital typically, or if you do, it's going to be a, at such an astronomical price per square foot that it won't pencil or be very challenging to pencil. Um, and that's kind of a generality. So you can do it, people do it, but it's very difficult. Um, so let's say that you go to market and you find some options available that are for sale and they are for lease that you like. And that's really my recommendation is I would tell you, don't make the decision before you go to market. Go to market, look at all your options. Look at your options to lease, look at your options to purchase, look at retail, look at office, look at multi-tenant, look at standalone. Don't predetermine what you think is the best property for you because you don't know until you get there. Even established doctors, you, you might think that there's a better option available to you or it's it's a better fit depending on the type of property, but it might not be based upon the economics. So go to market, look at options to lease, options to purchase, look at retail, office, et cetera. And then you'll start to determine very quickly if you like or don't like the property. If you don't like the property that's available for sale, same thing, we're, we're not going to pursue it. There's times when there's an option for sale, but it's an inferior location. It doesn't have the right access or parking, or maybe it's got neighboring tenants that are very undesirable. That's not going to be what's best for your practice. So is there any, are there any spaces available that meet your needs? Number one, do you like the spaces that are available for sale? Number two, and if you do, then you get on to the third and the most important equation, which is the economics. Can you afford the down payment? Can you afford the monthly payment? Um, you know, what's the effective cost of buying the building, building it out, and then what type of tax deductions do you get? What type of depreciation do you get? And that's really an economic calculation. It becomes very simple if you have a good purchase versus lease analysis, because it'll show you, here's my upfront payment to lease versus owning. Here's the uh, effects after I write off the entire lease payment and any operating expenses versus the interest and the operating expenses on the purchase side. And then how about after I depreciate it? And then on the purchase side, how much principal am I paying down per month? Because you could have a scenario where maybe it costs 6,000 a month to lease, 10,000 to own, but you might be paying down three or $4,000 a month in principal. And so the effective cost of owning might look higher to start, but it could come down and be very close or even better or lower than leasing. So the economics at the end of the day are gonna drive the process. You might see a property you like, you might you know love the property, but if you can't afford it, it doesn't work either. So Long story short on this question, is there anything available? Do you like it? Can you afford it? What's the cash flow? What are the tax deductions? 
And then if you clear all three of those major hurdles and there's an option to purchase, that's usually going to be in your best favor. Because at the end of the day, if you got to cut a check to a lender um, for a mortgage every month, but it pays down principal and you build your net worth every month, it increases versus a landlord and you get a write-off, but you don't get any equity. At the end of 20 years, you're going to probably have an asset that's worth as much or more than your practice with the real estate. And if you can do that and you like the property and it fits your needs, that's going to be a very savvy you know, financial decision for you that's going to most likely make you a lot of additional money. I know there's a lot of different considerations, but what are some of the main ones as you talk about, you know, how how to decide what location to invest in, whether that's a purchase or in many cases, a lease, you know, we look at things like you mentioned before, like parking, accessibility, traffic, foot traffic. So maybe a two-part question here. What are some of the main things that you advise clients on and maybe what has changed in the market as well? So I there's a an OD that I'm I'm friends with and I actually worked with him for a brief period of time and he's very successful and he had multiple practices and I asked him once how do you determine the location and he said you know how I determine the location I was reading an article once about how McDonald's spends a million dollars per location just to assess that location million dollars this was a long time ago it's probably much more now and he said I would just wait for a new McDonald's to pop up and then I would set up a practice across the street he said I, that doesn't really work as much anymore with vision plans you know that these practices go back a long way because now you know people are finding practices through different means mm -hmm. but you know it, it what matters now too i mean it, is it still a significant factor to be on a busy intersection or does has the market changed enough that that's not as relevant as it was because people are now um for better or worse finding in many cases finding their doctors through things like vision care panels yeah, I, I would say um, that that question, you know, is, is very similar to, to leasing versus owning. And, and the answer, it depends. It depends on the economics. It depends on um, it depends on your personal preferences. We'll find some doctors that say, I have to have a large sign in front of my space. And that's a part of my built in marketing strategy. And so I have to have a big sign. I want anybody who drives up to the property to know that they've got the right location, the right space, et cetera. And then other doctors will say, look, I can do a lot better with a lower lease rate, put that, that savings into targeted marketing and go after people with better programs. And I can get more precise having them you know, find me in an office building, but saving a bunch of money when it comes to the rent. So I would tell you whether it's whether it's high visibility retail, like in a shopping center um, or on a major thoroughfare, or if it's in an office or medical office building, you know, you got to have the parking, number one. You, you can't under park it to where patients don't have a, a place to park or they've got to park, you know, a couple blocks away. That's going to be frustrating for anyone. Um, you got to have a location that, that number one, you're proud of and that your staff's going to want to work at. I mean, you know, the, the cheapest property I can guarantee is not going to be the right fit in most scenarios. And so, you know, how do you feel about it? How do your patients feel about it? How does your staff feel about it? That's important. Um, the economics are going to drive a, a huge, you know, a huge part of the process too. I mean, in a lot of markets, you're going to find a property where you might love it, but you can't afford it. Like there's usually going to be like a, a loss leader where like even like it'll save you a ton of money, but it's going to hurt your practice. And a lot of times there's that, like the highest end, most expensive property as well too. And you might love it, but it doesn't make sense to overpay you know, by $6,000 a month compared to your next best option. Like you got to have some temperance in that, in that evaluation. Just like houses, like go to market for houses are always going to be a house that's more expensive that you love, but doesn't make sense financially for your current budget. So I would tell you, you know, parking and signage, visibility, 
Um, neighboring tenants is a big one too. There's times when you can get big visibility or exposure, but you might end up having like a vape shop next to you, or you might end up having like some use that you're not very excited about, but some of those, like I call them fringe uses, they'll, they'll pay the freight for the high visibility. That's part of their marketing game plan. So um, neighboring tenants is a big one. Uh, referral sources is a big one too. Like if you're in a medical office building and that, that office building is bringing in a couple thousand patients a day to see other providers, and you have a chance to post up on the first floor with huge visibility and everyone who walks in sees you, that's a form of marketing. You might not have a sign on the building, but you're getting a couple thousand people that are healthcare minded that are you know coming into that center of that building every day. That's a marketing uh, technique. So a um, lot, lot of variables there. But again, my recommendation typically is go to market, look at your top options, um, narrow down to the top three or four negotiate three or four rounds of negotiations with those three or four. And then you're making both at that point an, an emotional decision of what you like or don't like, but you're also making a factual business decision on what the numbers say. And again, that's like, that's the combination. It's, if it's just numbers and you don't like it, you, that's not going to work well for you for the next 20 years. Um, if you like it emotionally, but it doesn't work for your budget or, you know, it's going to push back your retirement by eight years because you got to just keep paying the freight on a, unnecessary expense, like that's not going to work for you either. So I, th I think we're back to where we started with how much trouble you can get into if you don't get this right mm -hmm. from the beginning. And, and again, I'll, I'll repeat that, uh, what I read in the beginning, a poorly negotiated lease or purchase can cost a practice tens to hundreds of, of thousands of dollars. So every good story needs a villain. So let's, let's, let's talk about those nasty okay. landlords for a minute. Yeah. How do you help ODs or healthcare professionals level the playing field. I mean, one, what do landlords know that that we don't? And also, how do you help prevent these uh, doctors, healthcare professionals from being taken advantage of by the landlords? Those are great questions. Let, let me start by saying this. Um, a lot of times landlords do get, you know, vilified or vilified. People look at them and they say, hey, man, this person's not a good person or whatever. And there's some really bad landlords out there that fit that persona. And, and they, they, uh, perpetuate that narrative at a very high level. Um, but landlords typically are just just savvier. I mean, think of it this way. If you were playing any sport, like your game's not to, your goal is not to tie, <laughs> your goal is to win. Like, like baseball games are happening right now this season. Like no one goes into a game saying, yeah, I don't really care if I win or not. Like everyone's trying to win. If you got into a boxing match, like no one's going to go in there and just, you know, put their arms down and let you punch them in the face. Yet there is an economic boxing match happening in every negotiation and the landlords want to win. It looks a little different because sometimes they'll, you know, sometimes they'll be endearing or they'll be really accommodating to the tenant or they'll, you know, they'll say things like, oh man, I've never done this before. Like no one's paying this low of a rate or man, you really pushed me hard on this deal. I mean, they make these statements and they just completely pull the wool over these doctor's eyes. I always joke. It's like, it's like wrestling with a four-year-old, right? I mean, you wrestle with a four-year-old, somehow the four-year-old pins the 40-year-old the dad, the four-year-old goes and tells the mom, yeah, I just beat dad in a wrestling match. And and he truly believes it. So it's 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 that type of a scenario. You get these landlords that that know how to play the game. Some of them will just punch you right in the face and, and, and they'll they'll own it and just say, look, you're gonna pay the freight or get out of my building. And they take the super aggressive approach. Other ones will be super accommodating. They'll send you a Christmas basket at, at, at the end of each year and they'll act like they're a good friend of yours and they're taking you to the cleaners. 
Um, so there's different types of landlords, but the, the bottom line, the landlord is going into every transaction thinking, what is the highest amount of money I can charge this tenant to where they won't leave or they'll actually stay and lease the space? And then what's the least amount of concessions that I can give them? That's Those are the questions. And then they ask another set of questions like, does the doctor have a broker? If the answer is no, they're going to assume they don't know the market, don't have the time, don't have the expertise, and they're not going to treat them with the same level of respect. Okay. Um, they're going to ask questions like on a lease renewal, are they willing to move? If they're not willing to move, there is no reason to give them anything besides the bare minimums. This is the number one. We've talked about mistakes before. The number one mistake in a lease renewal transaction for a doctor is they tell the doctor or they tell the landlord, excuse me, I don't want to move or, you know, what would you do if I'd stay or would you send me a proposal? That's the, the, the worst thing you could possibly do to a landlord. What that's telling the landlord is, I'm willing to pay a significant premium because again, I don't have the time, the money, the expertise, whatever it is. There's no reason to go lower. Like Steve, if I come up to you and I said, Hey, would you give me a hundred thousand dollars right now? And you'd say, uh, you know, what for? And I'd say, well, because I'm negotiating with you, if let's negotiate, you would say, ah, no, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you're not just going to voluntarily give me a hundred thousand dollars. There'd have to be some fear of loss to you to where you think you would lose more than 100,000 if you didn't give me 100,000. And that's what's happening in a lease negotiation. If you're a doctor in a, in a space and your lease is coming up for renewal and the landlord knows you can't move, there's no reason to do anything for you except charge you the highest amount of money. And people aren't thinking this one. Like they're, they're, you know, it's, they're, they're walking into these negotiations. I'm just going to tell a landlord that I want to stay. Like they, there could not be a worse strategy possible. Like they'll say, you know, I don't have the time to move or whatever it is. It's just, there, there has to be a strategy and a posture. And so landlords know how to strategize. They know how to posture. They know, they know how to make it uncomfortable. But the key to every negotiation specifically with landlords is what will it cost the landlord if you do vacate that space or if that space sits vacant for another six or eight months. And you have to have a strategy to get them to where they have the, opportunity to feel some pain if you leave or don't do the deal. And, and that's how you start to level the playing field. You start to uh, incorporate a strategy where you're, you know, you're, you're putting one landlord against another landlord, or you're, you actually do threaten to leave and give them a vacant space. Those are the things that get landlords full attention. And those are the same strategies that, you know, Charles Schwab or Lockheed Martin or Starbucks or Chipotle, those are the things that those tenants know that levels the playing field against the landlords doctors go into these negotiations and they just show the landlord all their cards. They have no strategy, no posture, and they are literally just, just begging the landlord for a better deal. And it, it doesn't usually work. Where are we at post COVID? It, it felt like there was a time after COVID where all we heard was the, the struggles of corporate real estate and so many businesses went out of businesses and or went out of business and there were vacancies everywhere. Are we just past that? Is that not even an issue? Cause it felt like for a period of time, if you were looking to, to lease a space, you might've had more leverage because you, now you could suddenly walk into strip malls and other places where there were several units and you looked at all the vacancies and it would, I would get the impression that, that you would have more leverage. It, was that the case at that time? And it, are we just well past that? That's a very interesting question. Um, I, I would answer like this and say, you know, when COVID first hit, I think everyone was very uncertain and nervous of what's going to happen. Landlords got nervous and they were willing to renegotiate leases. They were willing to um, get a little bit more aggressive to attract new deals because they wanted they wanted occupancy. They wanted to, to minimize their risk. 
Um, after everyone realized that the world was going to not fall apart and continue, um, landlords became pretty bullish again. And you couple that with how much money has been injected into the economy by, by both our current and our former president. So not getting political here, but just look at the numbers. The reason that the feds keep raising interest rates and in prime is because inflation's out of control. So much money got pumped into our economy that it's created an artificial world where, where people, if they wouldn't have put that money into the economy, we would have seen a, you know, just an avalanche of additional businesses going under and so forth. But um, they, they artificially sustained the economy. And now we're in a place where it's, it's basically picked back up where it was before. In a lot of places, it's even higher than what it was pre-COVID, believe it or not, when it comes to prices and so forth for lease rates or purchase prices. Um, so I, I would tell you, you know, you take that couple with the fact there's been very um, minimal or, or greatly reduced development over the last couple of years because commodity pricing got so high, construction is so high, and now interest rates are higher. Development has slowed down significantly over the last couple of years for commercial. And so it's bottlenecking even harder than it was pre-COVID and pre-COVID was like a 20-some year high. So the, the short answer to your question is um, it's a very competitive market in most locations. Um, and then you have to go market by market past it. If you're talking about, you know, Orange County, California, there's no land available that you can't expand into the ocean. Like you're just landlocked. If you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's still land available. So you can keep pressing the boundaries of the city or the suburbs and, and you can keep expanding. That provides a little bit of relief in a market because you're always competing with someone just moving a little further out of town. So depends on the market. Uh, again, if, if you're in Miami, Florida, like it, no one even knew COVID happened. Okay. Like, like, I mean, I remember talking to our brokers doing deals there and, and some landlords even raised rates even higher during COVID, like in like March and April of 2020. So I would tell you this, uh, it depends on the type of property. It depends on how much vacancy they have currently. It depends on the overall like area. Is it gentrifying and getting better? Is it staying strong or is it on the decline? And then it depends on the landlord's motivation. So, you know, Certain property types like multifamily, they can't build it fast enough. Um, industrial has been on fire for the last couple of years. Warehousing, distribution, manufacturing, they can't build it fast enough. Um, traditional office space, like if you're in a traditional office building where maybe you have a CPA down the hall, financial advisor down the hall, that kind of thing, that is the number one product that's struggling right now. So if you're looking for an opportunity, traditional office space, that's, that's probably your best opportunity. Um, retail stayed pretty strong. Like, I mean, a number of retailers have gone out, but a influx of franchises and concepts have come in. So retail strong, medical office is strong, industrial strong, traditional office space. That's where it's soft right now. And, you know, we're seeing some landlords that are willing to do healthcare that have never done healthcare before. And that can be a great thing. You might, you might find a much better, um, you know, concession package as far as TI allowance, free rent, lower lease rates, uh, but that's the product. If you're looking for a deal, that's where you that's where you'd find it right now. Um, everything else is is honestly it's it's as high as pre-COVID, if not higher. Let's talk about money. I'm going to put you on the hot seat here, Colin Carr. Uh, when I was looking over your uh, company and services, you mentioned a couple of things that that jumped out at me. Healthcare providers being able to save a hundred thousand dollars or more on their next lease renewal and also healthcare providers being able to increase their net worth by seven figures through commercial real estate. So speak to that. Yeah. So if you go out there and you purchase a building for your, for your practice, 
whether that's a 3,000 square foot office condo or maybe it's a 5,000 square foot building and you lease half to someone else. I mean, it's to me very rare for that, that that total project not to exceed over a million dollars as far as the real estate purchase plus the internal build outs. Most likely it's probably a million dollar building plus build out. You take that amount of money and then you throw on there either even a, a minimal one or 2% appreciation number per year, which historically is what real estate averages. Even though the market does go down and up, it, it, it goes down and up on an angle, just like the stock market. And so if you buy a building for a million two and then you put a half million into it, and then that appreciates at 2%, um, and then you pay that building off over the next 15, 20 years, which you will, because commercial loans, by the way, are, are typically 20-year terms, not 30 like in residential. You can get a 25-year SBA loan, but that's typically a 15, 20-year commercial loan. You, know, you look at every month that you cut a check, you're building your net worth and paying down, paying down the balance of your loan. You're building your net worth by a couple thousand dollars per month. And at the end of 15, 20 years, you'll have an asset that's worth a million or $2 million. And it's, it's no different than like a 401k. Like if you put a couple thousand dollars a month in a 401k and then turn around after 15, 20 years, you're going to have probably a couple million dollars, just the way the numbers work. So if people want to create an additional um, asset, if they want to really look at their net worth, owning real estate is a phenomenal way to do it. And commercial real estate for your practice is, is predicated upon if you will be in business. Like that's what it comes down to. I mean, there's no better tenant to bank on than you as your own practice owner. And then even when you sell the practice, you can write a 10-year lease or a 12-year lease and make that a requirement for whoever wants to buy your practice, which that's very simple to do and happens every day. So, I mean, you might pay the billing off over 15, 20 years, write a 10, 12, 15-year lease, the person that buys your practice. And I mean, you look at not only the principal pay down, but also the depreciation and the, the tax deductions you get as well too. I mean, you, you'll save half a million or more in tax deductions over 15, 20 years, and you'll, your net worth will probably go up by a million, $2 million just off the value of the real estate that you pay down. So com commercial real estate ownership is tremendous. And we can pivot to real to the lease renewal too, but if you want to camp there for a second, I have anything else to say, but owning real estate is a tremendous way to build wealth. Yeah, no, continue if you want to talk about the lease renewal. Yeah, and then on the lease renewal, the vast majority of lease renewals have an annual increase built into them. And typically that annual increase uh, outpaces inflation. Now I know the last two years we've seen record inflation, 40 year highs, um, but prior to that time, or even look at where the market's at today, you know, you got a, you got a lease that starts at a number and it, it ratchets up every year, 2%, 3%, 4%, depends on the terms. And then you have inflation. Well, in the majority of leases, that lease is going to be higher when it finishes in year 10 than where they're marketing vacant space at in the building or where they do a brand new deal at. And so the, the game plan is not, can I get my landlord to renew my lease? The game plan is how can I get my lease back to a market number how can I get the same free rent that a new tenant would get, you know, for, for not only the build up, but also once the, the lease commences, how much money would a landlord put into a new space? If I moved out of here and they had to scrape it down to the concrete and the studs, what would they give a new tenant to build out the space? If it was a restaurant or a coffee shop or someone else. And then how can I capture a portion of that? And you start looking at those numbers, you're going to get to $100,000 in a matter of seconds. So most healthcare providers are in a lease. They, they say, hey, I like the space, like the location. It's easier for me to stay than it is to move. That's great. But how do we get the landlord to treat you even close to as fairly as they treat a brand new tenant? 
And if you can get to where they give you a deal, even, even close to what they give any time at, you're going to probably save a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars off of what you've been paying or the trajectory of where they want to renew you. And then that all comes back to, you got to have a strategy. You got to be willing to go to market. You got to be willing to look at other properties. You have to have a posture to where the landlord believes that you might, you might vacate that space. It can't just be just, just bluffing of saying, oh, I might move. You've got to have gone to the market. You've got to have other options. You need to know what it looks like to purchase a building versus staying and renewing. And at the end of the day, there's got to be a fear of loss for that landlord. If there's not, then they're going to, they're going to pin you in the corner. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, they're going to beat you up for higher lease rates, higher increases, lower concessions, and, and you're going to lose a lot of money. So typical lease renewal, if it's done properly, you'll save a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars off of what you would pay if you just kept the lease going and you didn't have a strategy or game plan. So a lot of things to consider here, and I haven't come up with the title yet for this episode, but I will not be calling it real estate. Do it yourself. Yeah. I, that that's a good that's a good warning. I I, I joke and people they, they don't think it's the same thing because like look, you know when it comes to real estate you can do the deal. Like it, it's not a matter of whether you can get a contract signed or whether you can call on a space, but is that the right game plan to save money? Like for instance, I could say you know what I don't need to go to an optometrist. I'll just check my own vision. That looks good enough. Like I'll just call it a day. Well, if I need a pair of glasses, I'm just going to run into a Walgreens and just grab a pair off the rack and I'll be just totally fine. Like. Uh, you know, an optometrist would say that's a fool's game plan. Like, why would you do that? Well, I'm just going to do it myself. You know, you need a tooth removed. Like Tom Hanks just took a rock and an ice skate and cast away. He's like, hey, just hit the ice skate against the rock or whatever. And, and you can pop your own tooth out. It's just that easy. Like that. We joke about that, but that's what's happening. To these doctors go into these deals. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it myself. I'm pretty savvy or I can get a deal done. You certainly can, but it probably costs you a quarter million dollars. Yeah. And that's a, a good place to to wrap it up there on, on that thought of, of losing that much. So for um, how would somebody choose the best commercial real estate? And and can you speak to what does that cost them? How does that work in terms of the, the fees that they would be um, that they'd be looking at? Well, I'll start with that. The, the number one reason that people wouldn't choose a commercial real estate agent to help them is because they think that it's going to cost a lot of money. Or they don't have the money to invest in it. And the beauty of commercial real estate commissions are they're paid just like residential by the landlord or the seller. So if you're a healthcare provider operating as a tenant or buyer for your practice, the landlord is going to pay that commission. They have a commission agreement set aside with their broker or their listing agent, and it's built for two people. If you do a deal by yourself, the listing agent keeps that money. They get a double commission or the landlord will just pocket that amount of money. So just like if you've ever bought a house, if you bought a house, it's very, very rare for the seller to say to the buyer's agent, no, you got to pay your own commission. It doesn't work that way. They give a portion of the proceeds of the sale to their broker as a listing agent and then also the buyer's agent. And it works fantastic. So same thing, commercial real estate commissions always paid by the landlord or the seller. If you're a doctor as a tenant or buyer, you won't be paying the fee and you're not going to save money. They're not going to discount the commission to you. Um, again, if you own the property, you could choose to do it yourself and not pay commissions, but you're not choosing the commission amount or who gets paid. So that's number one. So that's a, a no brainer at that point to hire someone. Then the next question, how do you find a, a great broker agent? Um, the, the first thing you can do is just ask people in your community that you trust, like ask your lender, ask your attorney, ask your CPA, who do you know that specializes in representing healthcare providers? 
And a lot of times you're going to hear the same name or the same person come up for multiple people. That's a great start. Um, if you don't have anyone that you can ask the question to, if you don't get anyone that knows anyone, um, then you just start looking online. They start looking up, you know, healthcare real estate broker or, you know, dental real estate advisor, whatever the terminology is that you are looking for in your area, search that. And then once you get a name and a number from either Google or Bing or from someone you trust in your market, your practice management consultant, et cetera, then call the person and ask them to meet you in person or talk to them over the phone. And then just ask them questions like, what would your game plan be? What do you think is most important? What do I need to be aware of right now? And, and they're going to tell you very quickly what it looks like to have a game plan and strategy. And you're going to know quickly whether you like the person or not, whether you trust them or not, whether you want them to help you or not. And if you don't get the feeling that uh, I want to work with this person, just go to the next one. Like don't, don't settle here. Okay. Like, you would say the same thing. If a patient came into your practice and they didn't trust you or didn't like you, you would tell them, listen, I'm not going to strap you to a chair and make you be my patient. It, it, your vision's too important. Go somewhere where you feel comfortable, where you trust the provider. It's too important, but don't not go to an optometrist just because you don't like me. Like go find someone that you trust. It's the same thing. If you meet with a person, even if I'm highly recommended, you don't like them, go on to the next person. But it won't take very long for you to figure out if you do trust them or you don't. And I would say this, there's too much on the line. You owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family, you owe it to your practice to do the best you can with what you have. And it should involve an expert in that area. Colin, a, a lot of great insights, a lot of great food for thought. I'm sure anybody that is in a situation of looking in in, in any, you know, to delve into real estate in, in some capacity, got a lot out of this and to my, you know, joke before about not doing it yourself. I think that came through loud and clear. Car, you and, and Car Realty have a lot of traction in the healthcare industry and in and, and optometry. Your name comes up over and over in my work with doctors. And I, I think it came through loud and clear in this interview, the wealth of experience that you have in this particular market and, and this sector. So how does somebody find out more information about Car Realty? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, the best way to get in touch with our team uh, is our website, and that's car.us, C-A-R-R.us. Um, upper right-hand corner of our website, you can click to find an agent in your local market. Um, we also have a tab called resources. If you're the type of person that likes to get educated in an area, um, whether it be a little bit or you want to become an expert, we've got literally hundreds of FAQs, glossary terms, educational articles, videos. And so we, we do, a, a, a we're very intentional trying to educate the healthcare community on different aspects of commercial real estate. So if you want to become an expert, we've got as many resources as you could possibly absorb. If you just want to get in touch with an expert and let them take over from there, click here to find an agent and, and we'll start the process with you uh, at the highest level. Well, perfect. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. So, well, thanks, Colin. And first time we've covered the real estate issue. So a, a ton of great information here. And uh, thanks again to Colin. And thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like more information about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thank you for listening.